to be making my Broadway debut and and you know filling this role that's been so iconic and 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 special to me for so many years. Um, it was everything. It was insane. Hello, and welcome to another episode of South Asian Stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. We are back, and we're excited to interview Michael Maliakil. Michael is a multi-talented singer, dancer, actor, and Broadway star. He currently plays the lead role of Aladdin in the Broadway musical Aladdin. In this conversation, we discuss many things, including Michael's experience breaking into Broadway and getting the call of Aladdin the highs and lows of working in the industry and the behind-the-scenes look of working on a Broadway musical, and how representation matters and why he believes in it so much. I got to personally see Michael on stage with my family, and it was simply amazing. If you're in New York City, go check out Aladdin on Broadway and see Michael shine. Michael, welcome to South Asian Stores. We are so excited to have you today, this Friday afternoon. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here to talk with you. Um, I'm doing great. I am sitting here in my dressing room at the New Amsterdam Theater um, on Broadway and uh, excited to get to talk to you a little bit. Yeah, it's like uh, for everyone listening, you probably heard the intro before and Michael is doing big things on one of my favorite uh, sh- uh, movies growing up and I got a chance to see it a-, a month ago and it was an experience to say the least but we'll jump all into that but I want to rewind the clock back to the beginning tell us Michael where you grew up what was your life like and how South Asian was your family so I grew up um, in New Jersey my folks immigrated from uh, from Kerala from South India in um the 80s, uh, the late 80s, my brothers and I were all born in, um, my parents first moved to Texas, but my brothers and I were born in, um, in New Jersey. Um, and so at that time, um, you know, there were hmm, very few uh, folks that looked like me, at least in the, in the area that I grew up in, in central New Jersey. Um, I come from a uh, very historic, but small population of uh south indian christians uh and uh as such like our our community felt like a small community within a small community so um uh, so that was kind of an, an interesting perspective we we didn't have a lot of family in the area my dad moved here for work and um uh both my parents come from um i guess rather large families my well my dad has uh, seven sisters and three brothers. No uh, so way. That's a, that's a pretty <laughs> massive family. Um, and most of them were in um, and still are in India, um, a handful scattered throughout um, Europe and um, none on his side here in the States, actually. Uh, my mom's uh, sisters uh, are between here and um, and India. Uh, so that sense of of that question of how how Indian was your upbringing is is a an interesting one because um, I think uh, it's a common sort of feeling I've gotten from a lot of first generation kids um, who grew up around the same time that I did that um, you know assimilation was sort of the the name of the game in terms of um, you know uh, avoiding bullies and uh, and finding you know happiness and success in social circles growing up yeah. so. Um, so, so I think my parents, uh, 
didn't find any need to kind of like resist that necessarily. Um, you know, my name is Michael, first of all, uh, which is a Christian name. My brothers and I all have Christian names, as is my dad and his family going back generations. Um, so I think, you know, the the handful of Indian folks that we did grow up around. Um, and when I say handful, I really mean um, probably I think in my elementary school class, there was one other girl that was Indian. Um and then as I got into high school, it became clear that I was not very Indian, so to speak. Um, and, you know, coming from a, a Christian Catholic background where, um, you know, my family didn't celebrate a lot of the mainstream or more mainstream now Indian holidays, the Diwali's and the Holi and all of that. It was it was uh, it was, you know, a little bit of a learning curve getting to learn about sure. that side of of um this beautiful culture that I come from, because uh, for me, it was, uh, you know, we grew up going to church every Sunday. And um, and I think that was all kind of very strange and unfamiliar to the few Indian peers that I did have growing up. Uh, and so it was, you know, a, it's a really weird experience to be uh, to feel like underrepresented within this minority yeah. group. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that came with its own series of challenges. And and I think because of that, I I think I was always aware, obviously, that, you know, um, of, of my background and my parents uh, brought us back home to visit family every year um, growing up. And so I was very much aware of where I came from, where my roots were. But um, in terms of like a cultural identity, um, it was sort of all over the place. I, yeah. uh, I sort of, uh, my brothers and I, found our own way in a lot of uh a lot of respects um you know my grandmother was our nanny growing up and lived with us and and so i grew up speaking um malayalam with her um and uh and then like you know completely ignoring all of those facets of my personality when i went to school because it was just easier to yeah to avoid having to explain all of that and um and then, you know, coming of age right around um, 9-11 and all of the like horrible prejudices that arose from that just sort of like further solidified for me the need to kind of sidestep most of those um, um, identities just to to survive, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, so, yeah, my my identity was was very much Indian. We we were just as Indian as any other family, but. But I think in in many circumstances and interactions with other, um, you know, more North Indian friends or certainly my uh, Hindu friends growing up uh, in high school, of which I should say there were uh, four um, that uh, <laughs> that it was very it was very different, I think, from from most um, most first generation kids. Uh, yeah. We did have family. There were. Um, you know, mostly in the Texas area or um, like upstate Connecticut, um, and we would see them from time to time. So there was definitely a sense of community. But um, yeah, but uh, yeah. So so that's sort of a roundabout way of saying that um, that I, I think I felt um, growing up much much um, more as an uh, as an American than than um, necessarily an Indian. Yeah, one of the things that you know we've talked to a lot of guests on the show about is as they are struggling determining what their identity is, right? Because many of them are first generation, as you said, is how do I choose a career path, right? Because time and time after again, you know, a lot of our parents came in with the goal of like, hey, you know, here are the career paths we think are the most safe. 
And here are the paths that you might struggle with. And in your line of work, right, to see representation, especially South Asian representation, is limited. So I want to take it back. When was your first foray into the creative arts? And can you talk about your first play or anything like that? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, like I said, I grew up um, going to church every Sunday and my parents were, um, I have to give them all the credit. They were very open-minded and liberal in terms of um, exposing us to all kinds of different activities and, and um, you know, social interests, um, which I'm grateful for every day. Uh, and one of those early on was piano lessons. And then I was singing in the church choir sort of as a, you know, just a, another thing to do after school. And, um, and this like as a kind of wild energy filled little brown kid, it, it was one of, it was one of the few things that I, um, a was good at and that captured my energy for a long enough time to, to really, uh, you know, um, get some um, some good work done. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was sort of that first that first uh, inkling that like oh this is there's something here you know there's there's a passion there's an interest and and my mom immediately seized on that and was like you know what if this is going to get him to shut up and sit down and and <laughs> practice for a little while and get him off my hands and then let's let's see where this goes so so I I started out singing in choirs and um, that became a very, very serious hobby um, into middle school when I uh, joined a professional uh, touring uh, all-boys choir um, called the American Boy Choir. Uh, it became like a really formative experience in terms of ear training and sight reading, learning how to uh, read music, um, and then uh, performing at you know really um, exciting venues like Carnegie Hall and um, wow. Lincoln Center in New York and touring around the world and performing with you know the world's greatest orchestras and um, and all all between the ages of ten and fourteen and, and and not like really registering how how wild and crazy all of those experiences were um, but but as I look back just like really formative in terms of um, you know, instilling like a real love for, for, um, Western classical music, which was sort of my first love and my first, uh, foray into the performing arts. Um, so after that, I went to, um, a regular high school, um, close to my parents' home and, um, you know, obviously was, was singing in choirs and it was a great way for me to meet people. And most of my friends were also interested in music and singing and, and then I, by the end of freshman year, like all of my friends started auditioning for the plays. And I was like, I, I had never seen a Broadway play before. <laughs> I didn't know what really beyond, um, you know, the sound of music or um, I think I had seen a, the Bernadette Peters uh, video production of Into the Woods uh, as like a one day that my English teacher didn't want to teach a lesson kind of thing. <laughs> And but beyond that, I, I didn't really know what that whole world was about. Um, and, you know, all my friends were doing it and I figured, hey, why not give it a give it a go? Um, and that sort of opened up a whole new world for me. And I. Um, oh, man, I've already said a whole new world and we're just like five minutes into this. <laughs> yes, <thing>. yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Forgive me. Uh, but but that became, uh, you know, another outlet in which I could you know, use my voice and this instrument that I had grown to love and, and, and find as like a sense of a uh, source of my identity and, and certainly a way of just meeting people and um, yeah. being, feeling like a part of a community. Um, 
And uh, that sort of continued all through high school. I was able to play some fun, fun leading roles. Um, and, and then by the time it came around that it was um, college audition, I'm sorry, college application times, uh, there was a real reckoning um, that I had to go through as far as like what it was I wanted to do. Um, and, sure. Sure. and, uh, you know, I had this, this real passion and all these people telling me that, that there was some talent and promise there, but, but, um, very few, if any role models to look up to in terms of, uh, you know, examples and careers that I might hope to emulate. And my parents, you know, God bless them as open-minded and liberal and forward thinking and accepting as they were, um, you know, like any immigrant parents, I think we're primarily concerned with me being able to support myself. Right. Exactly. And, and, exactly. uh, and, and in this instance when I was like, well, maybe I could do this for a living. They were like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, there's no one doing it that looks like you. And like, you know, sure you have the passion, sure you have the drive and, 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 you know, the earliest signs of talent in it. But, um, but we're worried that, you know, you may find yourself in a position where you're struggling to make ends meet and um, and we don't want that for you. And, you know, if it's something that you really feel like you need to be doing, then, you know, we will, of course, support you. But um, and at age 18, frankly, I don't know how anybody decides like this. Is, this is the path my career, my life will take. Um, yeah based on this one decision. So I, I decided, you know, it was probably for the best to um, stick with uh, a more uh, open-ended career path at that point. So I ended up going to a, a great liberal arts school. I was at Georgetown for a few years before realizing that every waking minute I was spending that wasn't in class was either in one of four different choirs or singing at a church choir off campus or doing the plays and musicals. And my friends finally were like, what the hell are you yeah. doing here? Yeah. Like yeah. clearly your heart is somewhere else. Um, and I was grateful to have a few mentors. And um, at that point I had already auditioned for a few things in New York and had some really great feedback from some, um, some really wonderful people and casting directors in the city that were like, if this is something that you are willing to put the work into um, there, there could be a place for you here. And so that sort of uh, prompted me to make a big, scary change in my life, yes. which meant leaving a very good school by all Indian standards <laughs> yeah. and, um, yeah. and throwing all my eggs into a very scary, uh, different basket. Um, I want to talk about the decision because yeah. that, that is what I think is turning point for many people's life where they have to say, do I jump or do I stay back in my whole life? Totally. How did that decision come for you? Like I tell think, us the, where your head was at. I think, you know, I, I was a, a couple years older than, than that, that like really naive 18 year old in high school. But I, I think I just realized that like, if I wanted to do it ever, I had to start now because, um, you know, this, this career, um, most of the people that find success, um, are at least starting at a relatively young age in which, um, you can sort of like at least get your foot in the door. And I was worried that, um, I would find myself five, 10 years down the road, regretting not having tried. Um, and I think regret 
is a really scary thing and something I've tried to avoid as much as I can. Um, because, you know, I don't know. I, I think at that point there, there were, it, some of it was evidence-based. There were folks telling me like, you know, here are the things that you're good at. Here are the things that you need improvement on. But, um, you know, at that point, Hamilton was becoming a thing and, and like the powers that be were changing their idea of, what stories deserve to be told and who mm. had the agency to tell those stories. And, um, and there was a show um, on Broadway called Spring Awakening that was a really inspirational source of art for me in the way that they had cast, you know, folks of all different shapes and sizes and colors. And, and, um, and it was a huge commercial success too, which, which felt really important and meaningful. So there was, all of these sort of different signs that were telling me like, look, if, if, if you want to do this and if you're willing to, to dare to be the first X or the first Y, um, why not? And, uh, and I, I'm grateful to my parents for having, uh, given me their blessing to really just rip off that bandaid and give it a go. And then for a series of mentors that really, um, guide me, guided me, um, on the path to get to where I am today. It's, it's been a wild bumpy road. Nothing yeah. about this career is linear or makes any shred of sense. But, um, but I think, um, more than anything, I didn't want to wake up one day and regret not having tried. And, you know, that I feel like that would have just eaten, eaten me up inside. Yeah. Right, right. Like you, what you said, I, I think resonates a lot is no regrets. Just do something, you know, and at least say, hey, I did it. I did my absolute best. And then we'll see how the chips fall. So mm -hmm. I want to take it back to you get to New York. What's your first week like? <laughs> um, so I grew up, uh, my folks live about an hour out of the city in New Jersey. And so after I finished school, I did move home for a very long six months. Um, and uh, in that time is when I had started um, auditioning. Um, I, you know, I come from the classical music world. So in terms of like survival gigs, I, I didn't have to, uh, to go the table waiting route, um, the server bartender route. I was able to um, get my foot in the door with a bunch of the uh, professional choral groups in the city, which was cool. a really amazing community that um, that uh, was able to help me, you know, pay my bills uh, in those early um, months and years in the city um, while I was training and taking voice lessons and acting classes, um, dance classes, and and you know, getting my name out and uh, into the theater world. Which um, really, it's still at that point. I was I was um, very much a newbie um kind of yeah. on the fringe of that and so the first few uh few auditions it was um you know the the audition process is uh is excruciating it's uh there are these like massive cattle calls where there are you know thousands of people hoping to get maybe a handful of roles in in these shows and there's a lot of sort of paying your dues doing really low paying um out of town work or um, you know, cruise ships and whatnot before you uh, sort of like earn your stripes to be able to um, really like do the kind of soul satisfying work that we all aspire to do. Um, yeah. 
And so it was, it was a long journey of, of getting to meet people, getting good at auditioning, which is its own kind of like bizarre skill that has nothing to do with being, um, you know, an actual performer. <laughs> uh, and so, or it has, I mean, surely it has everything to do with it, but the skill set is, is a very yeah. specific, uh, yeah. different thing than performing a show every night. Um, so I, um, the auditions that I was being invited to at that point were very limited. Um, they were very sort of stereotypical and, you know, I was very often being asked if I could do an accent in the room um, and, you know, all these things that kind of like churned my guts a little bit. Mm. And, and um, you know, I sort of uh, politely and obediently said, sure. And, and, you know, did, did all the thing, jump through all the hoops that, that, um, you know, us uh, underrepresented folks in this business often have to, to sort of just get our foot in the door. And I was lucky to um, make a good impression on a couple of the big uh, casting offices here in the city that um, ultimately led to me getting cast in my first um, off-Broadway show, um, which was a review of songs by this legendary composer, Maury Yeston, um, here in the city, which got me my first agent and led to my first big gig, which was um, going on tour with the Phantom of the Opera, um, which is, um, you know, historically a very white show, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the whitest of whites for so many years, but an iconic show in the business for sure. It's uh, the longest running musical in history. And so to be a part of that, a show that was like really formative in my, in my, um, education as a as a young singing actor and so to be a part of that was freaking huge and to tour the country doing that for a while and and honestly to just be able to get that check on the box and my resume like you know here's um you know the first national tour a big equity job and um you know a a cushy paycheck and uh, all of those things that felt like so um, far in the future when I first started knocking on doors in New York. So, yeah. um, so that was a really exciting moment for me that kind of solidified like, um, you know, and I was understudying one of the lead roles and to be finally uh, seen and respected as, as a leading man, which was, you know, always what I hoped to be. Um, uh, it was, it was a, a really kind of edifying and like meaningful moment in my career. Yeah, that is amazing. I want to talk about, you know, the highlights and lowlights, because this is a, a business, a world that not many people, let alone South Asians, know about, right? They mm-hmm. see the output, mm-hmm. but they don't see all the inputs. Mm-hmm. Can you talk us through how you got through some of the low moments? And then on the flip side, tell us some about the high moments. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, I, I often like get asked, like, why aren't there more South Asians in this industry? And I think that question is, is, is very telling. I think there's, there's so many aspects about this industry that um, maybe bar um, folks like us from feeling included, from feeling like uh, the stories being told invite us to be a part of them and and you know part of it is also that this mode of storytelling this particular idiom doesn't really exist or it hasn't historically in india so i think you know certainly the bollywood um culture is very much this the idea of story and song and the meeting of those is 
deeply ingrained in in Indian culture. And I would say it's probably by output, by volume, the most yeah. uh, extreme in the world and for for decades. Right. And um, and I think that's that because of that, what's so interesting is that we are historically in our culture so innately drawn to stories that that are told through song. And yet when it comes to doing that in a live theatrical setting, there's very little context for that um, historically yeah. in India. Um, there's a lot more, as I understand, that's happening these days. But um, And so um, a, just sort of a sidebar, but an interesting result of that is that, you know, we've got all these brown folks coming to see the show now, um, which is incredible. And so many of them ask me, like, are you guys actually singing on stage? <laughs> and it, you know the first few times that i heard people ask me that i was sort of like taken aback i was like yeah we're we're absolutely singing live every night i mean that's one of the hardest parts about the job is being able to sing and dance at the same time and, and you know not sound like you're dying and out of breath but yeah but yeah. um but you know it's not a part of the of the culture in india you know the playback singers and the and and you know how actors are are are, are constantly miming the songs you know they're very rarely do you have a a big Bollywood star that that actually has a singing voice, um, right? So, right. So it's right. Um, that's sort of a fascinating um, outcome of this like influx of Indian folks coming to see Broadway now. Yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, in terms of lows in my career, I, I've always I've always been more drawn to dramatic roles, and um, you know, like pictured myself more as a romantic lead, and those are sort of the characters that I found meatiest and most um satisfying to dig into and in even in the early days when things started to feel like you know people were more interested in having brown actors fill roles on stage and on screen it was always comedy that was always the first foray it was the aziz ansaris it was mindy it was cal penn right it was it was these folks that you know russell peters russell peters um Rajiv from uh, from Mean Girls, you know, all those were sort of the the touchstones, yes, and um, yes. and you know, nothing but tremendous respect for those folks for for breaking um, down barriers and doors for the next generation of actors to even be welcomed into these rooms. Um, but I was not a comedic actor, and I didn't want to be, you know. Um, that that movie Mean Girls and Kevin G was the bane <laughs> of my existence in high school. Just like this kid who was just ruthlessly mocked and like couldn't get a girl to save his life and just like nerdy and yeah. awkward and shy. Anyway, so I I very much wanted to you know forge a, a different path and one that involved like oh you know maybe you could be the object of desire in this love story. You could be the guy that gets the girl at the end of the day. You know and and so I think for a long time it was there was no one no one that was that was seeing that um as a possible choice in casting these shows and it wasn't honestly just south asians it was it was very few east asian folks that were you know they were those typical kind of asian shows there was the king and i there was miss saigon um you know our our um black folks had you know the color purple and ragtime and there were a handful of like very insular kind of like boxy right. um stereotypes and it was it was really a, 
very much until recently that people started to think outside of that box. Um, and I think, you know, for a long time, trying to convince people to, to open their minds about that was really hard for me and, and yeah. to be like, to be putting myself out there for these roles and having people say like, just not quite the right fair. We don't see you that way or whatever, yeah. you know, that was, um, you know, it's uh, on top of the fact that this industry for, for your average white folk is very competitive and you, you deal with rejection on the regular and that's, that's all fine and good. You know, I, I sort of understand that to be a part of the deal. Right. But beyond that, to then have your physical appearance and your lived experience and your culture be what is preventing people from seeing you in a certain respect in the way that you see yourself. Um, it's um, it can be really kind of demoralizing, you know? Um, and so that was, that was really rough. Um, in terms of highs, I will say that any opportunity that I did get to perform. And if I look back on it, there were very few actually in my career that were culturally specific. And I don't know that it was necessarily that I was like avoiding all of the taxi cab driver roles and the terrorist roles and the, you know, <laughs> grocery store clerk roles. But I, I think like for whatever reason, and I do think it, it, it has to do with my type and my energy. I just don't really give off that vibe. I, I, was able to be in positions where I was, you know, sort of the one Indian guy in a cast that was very white. And so because of that, anytime any person of color would come to see the show and, and approach me afterwards, it was, it was always like, Hey, I see you like good on you for doing that. Like it is, it, it didn't, it wasn't necessarily an Indian person. It it could have been a, a Hawaiian person or, you know, someone else of, of, uh, an upper underrepresented group that was just really inspired by seeing someone of a different shade occupying a space that so wasn't inspiring. necessarily designed for them. Right. And so I, 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 I took that as a responsibility and a really, um, exciting privilege to be able to occupy that space. And, and, you know, and now, you know, I, I needless to say, this role that I'm filling right now, which was, you know, the the movie was an iconic part of my childhood, your yeah. childhood. I mean, yeah. we, my brothers and I had had all of it. We had the lunch boxes, we had the <laughs> the tidy whities, the bed sheets, you know, all of it. It was just like the action figures, and and he was it. He was he was the prince, right? He yeah. he saved the day, he beat the bad guy, and it was it was. Um, once, uh, you know, once I jump through all the hoops to get to where I am, to be able to do this every night feels like an incredible privilege and like such a huge, huge honor. And and to do it alongside of Shoba Narayan, who um, is our Princess Jasmine, you know, to have two South Asian, South Indian, um, her family's from Tamil Nadu. So to have two you know, rather dark skinned Indian folks playing these leading roles in an iconic Broadway show. Um, it, it's, it, it's a big moment and, and one that, yeah. you know, certainly I, I don't take for granted. And, and I think the most exciting part of it specifically, certainly, you know, it's my Broadway debut and it's, it's a big moment in my career. My agents are really happy. My folks are proud, you know, checking all those boxes, all that aside, I think what, what makes me most proud is to be able to to represent my community and my culture in a way that 
you know, has historically hardly ever been done. Um, and I think that that's really, really special. I've, I've been able to communicate with, you know, all kinds of kids through Instagram, you know, it's got its pros and its cons, but to be able to connect <laughs> with, with young folks who, you know, sure the, the ones that aspire to be performers, you know, I'm happy to connect with them and give them advice, but even the ones that are in tech are in finance and medicine, whatever, who are just like, I had no interest in ever seeing a Broadway show. Didn't know really what it was, but I came to see you because I saw you on a billboard. I saw you and Shoba on that bus rolling by. I was like, Oh, there's a Indian person in the lab. Like we should go see it. And they brought their families and, and they're yeah. like, how cool to see you doing what you do out there. And and um, and the young kids, oh, my God, the young kids coming as Princess Jasmine and just like coming to the stage door and just, you know, it it's it feels it feels huge. And I, I think about what that would have meant to me when I was that age to see someone doing it and how, you know, it might have, have made my trajectory a little straighter, a little bit um, more direct or um, empowered me to feel like I didn't need X, Y, Z approval to pursue it, that, yeah. you know, there was a place for me here. And so, you know, it's, it's been a journey for sure. And there's, there's such a long way to go in, in, I think across the board in the entertainment industry, I think TV and film are, are very much further ahead than, than this theater world is, but, um, but I'm encouraged and excited by the progress that is being made and by the, um, the new shows that are coming down the pipeline. We have shows that are written and conceived by brown people, like with roles that were intended to be filled by brown people. And that's, that's I think, like the ultimate goal right through all of this is, is to just be able to have agency to tell our own stories and, and tell them in an authentic way. Yeah. Um, real way and so that's that's really really exciting to see and like there are so many kids in these um actor training programs and majoring in it in school you know i think for the first generation there's this need to just like survive right you get yeah. here and just like make it work and and um and make your parents proud and i think for the generation that follows there's a little bit more flexibility to be like you know what we're okay we're going to be fine there are plenty of doctor, Indian doctors and, <laughs> and financiers and engineers out there. Like, I'm going to give this a go. And I think um, the, the, you know, the, that next generation has, is um, uniquely positioned to, to really just like fearlessly dig into it and, yes. and, um, and train relentlessly, which I think is so exciting and promising because, you know, so often what you hear from the, gatekeepers in this business is that there is a um a lack of of talent the talent pool isn't big enough and so that's why you don't see as many diverse faces telling these stories and you know frankly a lot of that is bullshit to be honest but i think um you know at least if in this scenario now we can start to uh to at least not give them <laughs> that excuse to not put these bodies on stage i think that's, yeah. that's um it's really exciting Man, that, that is amazing. There's so much to unpack there. But one of the things that stuck out from what you said is the ripple effect, right? The fact that you went through so much to get where you are now is having downstream effects. And so many people are now looking up to you where you didn't have a mentor when you're going through your journey now, but people can see you on a billboard, on mm -hmm. a bus and say, I could do that too, which mm -hmm. is so powerful.
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I definitely want to underscore. And and um, even beyond, sorry to jump in, but yeah, be, even ahead. beyond that, you know, definitely like the the concept of I could do that too. That's a career path that's available to me. That is huge and can't be understated. But but I think even like for your average white person who may come from you know a community that's super homogenous and they've yep. the only Indian people that they've ever seen are you know, the doctors on screen or, you know, the comedians or whatever it may be to see folks that don't look like them filling these roles and being the romantic hero and yep. saving the day, you know, it's just like the the ripple effect, like you said, of just being able to identify the shared humanity in people that don't look like you, right? Like, I think yep. that's the enormous responsibility that that the entertainment industry has in shaping the way people walk through the world. I mean, you know, it's, it's about like breaking down prejudices and just like helping people understand, like, just cause someone doesn't look like you doesn't mean that they don't want the same things as you have the same fears as you and aspire to the same things as you do. And like, I think that that is the real answer to this like horrible uptick in, you know, Asian crime that we're seeing recently. And, you know, the horrible brutality against um, black lives and and the, you know, the incongruous approach to interacting with with folks, black folks. And, you know, it's it's like I think until we get to the point where we all the media and the media is, is hugely responsible for this, that we can kind of understand that your physical appearance has nothing to do with the way that you that the amount of respect that you deserve in the world. Right. I think that that's that's um that's sort of like the big meta picture that I yes. think um the responsibility that you know at the end of the day like you know I'm I'm playing a cartoon character on stage like it's you know there's let's be real like it it is still like a Disney show and there's there's fun and there's joy and levity to all of that but I think like you know there there is a even if it seems like it's a very far down the down the creek kind of effect there is a very tangible effect that these sorts of casting decisions have on shaping our um you know our zeitgeist right yes yes and that makes that is a wonderful point and i think the balance that you can do the two is knowing the deeper meaning of the impact of what you're doing but also giving your personality your sense of interpretation of the character i think it's an awesome way to to think about it mm-hmm. and i want to hear your perspective was like can you give us a peek under the hood Everyone sees the output, but tell us what's it like to put on a production to this scale, to be on Broadway, to be the Aladdin. What is it like in the background? Yeah, it's um, it's so many things, and you know, it's it's what I've dreamed about for a very long time. I will say that you know, through the audition process, I was very much focused on um, you know, doing good work and being prepared and showing off my skill set in the best possible way. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a grueling process. There were, uh, eight, nine different rounds of auditions and callbacks. And, um, and, you know, my focus was very much on just like each step of the way, here's the task at hand, prepare, deliver, move on. And then once I finally got the call that, that they were going to offer me the role, which was, uh, completely out yeah, of body surreal experience. That. Tell us about that, that day. <laughs> so, uh, so I auditioned for this. My first audition was, um, I want to say, at the end of 
or like early June of 2021 um, when they had announced that, um, you know, Broadway was finally reopening after the pandemic and um, and after the pandemic, we're still in a pandemic, but you know, you know what I mean? Uh, and so I, uh, my final audition was probably, I think, early July. Yeah, actually, the phone memory just came up on my um, photos on my app, um, iPhone. And uh, it was last Wednesday was the day that I got the call that wow. um, that I was gonna be Aladdin on Broadway when Broadway reopened. And, um, and it was such a cathartic moment of so many levels of just feeling relief after after a year and a half of the of the you know the real peak of the pandemic where all of us as performing artists were basically just immediately non-essential and um unable to do what it was that we had dedicated our lives to do and um so that was a big part of it to just like feel useful again and productive and then beyond that to be able to um to be making my broadway debut and and you know, filling this role that's been so iconic and 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 special to me for so many years. Um, it was everything. It was insane. We just, my wife and I crumpled into a little puddle on the floor and my dog freaked out and was worried that <laughs> the world was ending. Uh, but, um, you know, it was, it was, it was the culmination of a lot of, of hard work. And, and, um, and once I got that call and got over the initial sort of like sheer, like, dumbfounded joy of, of being being able to say that I was going to play Aladdin on Broadway the reality of what that meant and how much work was yet to come <laughs> to to prepare to learn the role to um to then you know perform it eight times a week which I will say is the hardest part of this job um like all of that came rushing in and hit me like a ton of bricks um we rehearsed for four weeks uh, in the city before the show opened, and it was um, a very intense process, um, very layered emotions in terms of, um, you know, making sure that it was all tip top ready to go by the time we had an audience of whatever, 1800 folks in the house. Um uh, I, it was a unique experience because um, the show was reopening after having been on Broadway for, I want to say, six years, seven years at that point. Um, and so Shoba and I were the two new cast members joining the show. The rest of the cast was pre-existing. And so, um, you know, they all knew their show, had done it hundreds, some of them thousands of times. And so here we were coming in and learning the show from scratch, um, which was a daunting prospect to say the least, but they were so welcoming and so excited to have us on board and open to us bringing our culture and our identities to the show and being open to, you know, making some minor tweaks and adjustments as we went in terms of just making the show a little bit more culturally sensitive and Shoba brought her um, Bharatnatyam, a dance experience to help um, solidify and specify some of the uh, hand gestures and, and dance um, that's in our show. And, you know, the show is Aladdin is set in this sort of fanciful world of Agrabah, but um, you know, even the name Agrabah and the, the design of, of the palace uh, it's, 
uh, its proximity to um, the Taj and to Agra is you know, kind of unmistakable. And yeah. you know, the show borrows so heavily on on Middle Eastern and South Asian cultures. And so, you know, it was it was cool to be able to voice some of these, um, you know recommendations in terms of how to make the show more um accessible and more authentic and and to have them be like really jazzed and excited about like this yeah. is great like you know bring it on let's 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 see what we can do to to make this um a better experience for all parties involved and um so that was that was really really special so there were so many layers in terms of getting the show on its feet after the pandemic that felt um really satisfying yeah. terrifying encouraging edifying all of the things um, to the point where once once opening night rolled around, I mean, my mom was in the audience. Like I, Aladdin sings this song throughout the show that kind of like strings his his um, trajectory and his character arc called "Proud of Your Boy." Um, he sings it to his you know deceased mom, um, and <laughs> having to sing that song to your mom on your Broadway debut in front of 1700 people uh it was it, it was i'm proud of myself for having gotten through it let's just say that yeah it was, um, all the emotions oh my god just oh man you. oh man you have no idea it was it was incredible um and a moment i will never forget i you know the the sheer terror of having to just get through the show and make sure you know you still had all 10 fingers and toes by the end of it and yeah um you know that that yeah, I think is what really got me through it was just knowing that there was a job to be done, a very big job to be done. Yeah. Um, but by the time the bows rolled around and I looked out onto this enormous crowd and found my mom and I just, you know, lost it. It was it was game over at that point. Man, man. <laughs> that is I can't just imagine what that moment must have felt like to you, like. And not only just to you, but your mom as well, right? Like, I think about perspective a lot and the perspective of how our parents came here, you know, and they provided a lot for us to succeed and to probably see you on stage just was a seminal moment for her. Like the rest of who, you know, the friends and family that were there. Oh, Samir, you got to stop. I'm going to lose it again. I'm going (laughs) to lose it again. Yes. No, you're so right. And, you know, I, I, I am so grateful for them for so many reasons, but not the least of which is that they were open-minded about letting me pursue this crazy thing. And just like, you know, the, those early days where you know they they my parents came from very humble backgrounds in india and so they you know they were scrounging together the pennies to to put me into voice lessons and piano lessons and like you know all the sacrifices that were made to send me to performing arts camps and things like that and like you know without that there's no chance that i would be where i am and so i feel an incredible amount of gratitude to them for you know, even like paving the way to, yeah, to yeah. support that was just huge. It is huge. Let me ask you this. This just popped in my mind. Um, since being Aladdin on the show, have you revisited the movie like your child and watched it again with a different perspective? You know, I, I actually, there's this, the short answer is I, I watched it when I first got the audition because I wanted to like come back to the source material and sort of figure it. out yeah. like, you know, what, what the show was, the stage play was based off of. And I mean, I had the whole show memorized anyway, but, (laughs) 
but um, but to sort of revisit the way the specific expressions and and mannerisms that you know the animators had used with um, with the character, I watched it then, and it was really exciting to come back because I probably hadn't seen it in I don't know yeah a decade at it was least, in the Disney right? vault right <laughs> yeah for sure I'm talking like the VHS tape yes, that my yes. parents have somewhere in their basement so uh so that was probably the first time I'd seen it and I at least really at least like 10 years and so I um got to watch it then I did rewatch the um the live action remake the Will Smith uh movie that came out a few years later and and beyond that, I, I actually had never seen the Broadway show. Um, so I didn't, I sort of was grateful for that to not have, you know, someone in my head to kind of yeah, mimic yeah, necessarily, yeah. right? So I was able to sort of come to it with fresh eyes and bring my own self to it. Um, and frankly, you know, I, I don't look like any of the other guys that have played a lot. And there were, I think, four, maybe five guys that have played this role before me. And we all look very different. <laughs> um, I'm taller than them by probably a foot at least. And so that alone, my physicality is very different how I carry myself. So I was, it was nice to kind of dive into the material with all of me. Yes, and not yes. necessarily have. Put your you know, personal other, stamp on it. Totally, totally. And so that that was sort of a gift um, that I didn't know I had given to myself by not having seen the show. Um, but, you know, I was just thinking the other day, I was on Disney Plus watching um, the uh, the new Doctor Strange movie. Um, but I saw, I was scrolling by that, you know, they have all the Disney classics up there too. And Aladdin is absolutely one of them that it's yeah. probably worth a rewatch yes. yes yes maybe that's with awesome. uh with my baby on my lap i don't know we'll see oh man that's gonna be both. <laughs> like see that character daddy plays that character <laughs> absolutely her 10 week old self is just like drooling like yeah. i don't give a damn but sure cool that's a cool dad yeah that's amazing <laughs> um so i know we're at the last uh minutes of our interview i want to end with some of our rapid fire questions again these are questions we've asked um the uh, the other um other people we've had on the show mm. and i want to hear your perspective on them um michael is there an item or service that you've bought recently recently that has dramatically improved your life um wow item or service you know they're the first thing that comes to mind and this may not be the most profound exciting answer but it will be a meal delivery service that I just <laughs> treated, started treating myself to just this month. I, you know, life is wild. Our schedules are crazy here at the theater. We do eight shows a week. Um, and I have a pretty long commute on top of having a newborn kid. And, you know, it just got to the point where like the last thing I wanted to do was cook for myself, meal yeah. prep, all of those things. And, you know, I, I try to eat pretty clean. This show is very physically demanding and, and you know, having a, a good, clean, solid diet is a crucial part to being able to do this eight times a week and and stay healthy and and, and look like Aladdin, there. right? <laughs> also that, right. So <laughs> so finally I caved and was like, you know what, I'm just gonna do this. There are a couple other guys in the building that do it and it's um it's been a game changer for sure. Which one, which one do like you do? Roll home and throw this thing in the microwave and not think about it. Um, I'm doing a, a service called Factor. Um, Factor. Okay. I mean, sponsor me, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's delicious. It's great. And it's pretty clean. And so I, I'm enjoying that so far. That's That's been a big life upgrade. I, will I say. love that. I love yeah. that. <laughs> um, next question for you is, um, 
when you think about a book or movie or some sort of art that has had the most impact of you, what comes to your mind and why? Hmm. I think the like cop-out answer would be the Aladdin animated film. But I think more generally, I would say the Disney franchise in general, growing up as a kid, you know, they were certainly, you know, all the, all that we were watching when we were young. But I think when I think about what that initial spark or interest in storytelling through song, which is really what gets me going, um, it all comes back to Disney, right? I think it was, they were, they sort of had that, that industry on lock for the, um, for the younger generation and between Aladdin and Pew um, and the Beast and Hercules and, and all of those movies that we wore those VHS tapes out. I mean, <laughs> yeah. man, like I'm so sorry to my parents for how many times they had to sit through those movies. But I think, you know, somewhere deep down, that's, that was where that initial um, connection to, you know, that idiom of, of stories that go into song that go right. into stories. And right. that was, that was really the first of it for me. Um, my parents would, would watch Bollywood movies growing up, but I think, you know, again, as, as a kid who was just like so desperate to assimilate and, 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 and be as like, you know, mainstream and under the radar as possible. I was just like always rolling my eyes at these movies that my parents, these like four hour long movies where people are dancing in fields and singing. I was like, can we just put Hercules back on? Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, I think, uh, yeah, I think that that was probably um, in terms of just like trajectory. That's probably where a lot of this Got it. Yeah. started. No, I mean, a lot of people are that way, my man. <laughs> Everyone starts with, with the Disney yeah, movies, yeah. the original storytellers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this next question is something that I'm very curious to hear your answer on. Um, if you think about a South Asian person in your field, and it could be in acting, it can be in directing, it can be in, in whatever the way you want to interpret it, who is it, who is someone that you look up to and why? Wow. Um that's a tough question. In in my particular field, um, there there have been so few um, South Asian actors given the opportunity to portray leading roles on Broadway, um, and so sadly, I, I don't have someone that I can point to in that respect. Um, I think if if I'm allowed to kind of step outside yeah, please, a little bit, um, more recently, it, it it would probably be. Um, Alok Menon. I don't know if you know his his um, his work at all. He's a uh, trans performer, poet, activist, writer, intellect, just like all around fascinating human being whose work is. Um, I'm sorry, I have to correct myself. I think I said he. Uh, they go by the pronouns they them. They are a mind that like completely has me in stitches. I can't wrap my head around like what an incredible human being Alok is their work in terms of activism, um, in terms of just shaking up the status quo yeah. and sort of fearlessly being themselves in this like incredibly honest, authentic way as a South Asian, especially, you know, our culture has a long way to go in terms of accepting totally. alternative lifestyles and 
and not even alternative lifestyles, but just like the full humanity of, of, of sexual identity and gender identity and all of that. And Alok is doing really fearless, incredible work, moving that community forward. And, um, and I'm just so inspired by his, his act, activism by his tenacity by his incredible i'm sorry by their incredible brain um there's a podcast that they did um uh is it called man enough have you heard of that podcast are you man Mm -hmm. enough i'm not sure um but clips from that interview sort of made their rounds on social media um and the sound bites are incredible it's like truly worth being put into a book i don't, don't know if alok is writing a book but they absolutely should because the value he has that his their words have added to my general psyche and my yeah. experience of the world are i mean unmatched i can't i can't say enough if awesome. you don't know alok's work go follow him on instagram listen to him speak it's like music the way that they are able to shape their thoughts and these profound views on the world and identity into where it's fascinating. It's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. We'll definitely link his, his work on, in our, uh, in our post about this. Um, Michael, this has been amazing. Seriously, man, this has been one of my favorite interviews. Are there any final asks for the audience? Anything you'd like to leave them with before we close? Um, I think more than anything, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful to you for doing this work to be able to, to give voice to 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 so many folks that are doing incredible things in careers that you know may not necessarily be the first choice for folks um, that look like us, um, but I think more than anything, my my plea to our community is to go out and support the work of South Asian artists. Yes. Um, whether it be on Broadway, whether it be at your local theaters, whether it be movies or TV shows. Um, ultimately in this, in this profession, money talks, right? And I think, um, if we as a community are able to, to prove to the gatekeepers that there is a, there is a market for art that is created by South Asian folks, um, for stories told by South Asian bodies, I think more than anything, that's going to move the dial into um, you know the representation that I think we're all so desperate to see. So you know, identify those stories and and those folks that are doing doing the work and go see it. Pay the yes. money. Go buy yes. those tickets. Bring your family. Tell the tell tell your friends and um, and hopefully that'll mean that in five ten years from now. You know, someone like me playing a leading role on Broadway won't be a big news story. It'll sort of just be like, yeah, absolutely. Like, why not? Yeah. That makes total sense. Just yeah. another another Indian guy doing their thing, you know? So that's that's my hope. That's awesome. That's the perfect way to leave it. Thank you, Michael, for all your work. Congratulations on all your success with Aladdin. If for everyone listening, go see the show. It's amazing. Um, I got a chance to see it and you guys will not be disappointed. So thank you so much. Samir, you're the man. Thanks for your time. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.